0: Dog training. It's not about training your dog. It's about training you. This week's episode, we have Liz Liss, founder, owner of Trinkle Packs Dog Training here in Columbus, Ohio. I'm extremely excited to talk to Liz today about all things dog training. Uh, This will also be a two-episode podcast, Uh, one designated to more dog training, and the second one will be um, designated more towards nutrition and behavior in dog training. Stay tuned for the end of the episode where we'll answer a listener's question as well.
1: Feed your pet food made from the freshest and healthiest ingredients found in Steve's Real Food.
0: Every Steve's formula is pH balanced and uses only 100% natural, high-quality USDA-inspected free-range meats and unprocessed whole and functional foods.
1: We know that what you choose to feed your pet is just as important as what you choose to feed yourself, which is why Steve's Real Food is formulated for optimal health that exceeds AFCO minimums.
0: See how much better your pet will feel after just a few weeks on Steve's Real Food. Find out more in the podcast show notes. Today I'm here with our friend Liz Lees, which uh, we just found out means fox. In Polish.
2: Mm-hmm. Subtract one of the S's yeah, yeah. and then it's Fox. But yes, I'm very excited to be here.
0: Yeah, so Liz, um, she started Tranquil Packs, which is a, um, well, it's a training, what would you call it? Training facility slash...
2: I would just say dog training company. So dog training we company. don't actually have a facility. And I think that's one of the biggest draws to our company is that we are a home-based operation. Okay. So I specifically, I mean, I started off not with this, of course, within the last two years, I just bought a property of five acres, uh, both of course for myself and my dogs, but that way my training clients could come out.
0: Oh, and... so that's relatively new. Yes. Okay. Cause, mm-hmm. it, since, Cause I've only known you for two years. So yep. that's Okay. So and it's that not you new right to me. when
2: everything good was starting to happen. I the see. introduction of things and fur.
0: I know. Well, you kind of have a facility. I mean, that's this like the small are, little.
2: Exactly. There's yeah. like a small training building on the property right. and everything like that.
0: Which is pretty neat. Um, so we've we've worked really closely with Liz for the last couple of years. Um, I don't know. I don't even know how that all started. I think you.
2: You were doing a introductory seminar to raw feeding.
0: Oh, That's right. Oh, that's right. And you had chaos with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I
2: brought my cousin Katie, who uh-huh. was one of my employees. Oh, at the yeah. Time. Yeah. We brought all of our dogs. And I that don't know fun. if it's that you were like, oh, the dogs are well behaved or yeah. what you know, sparked it. But I think I was really impressed with your knowledge, the store. And I was like, I really like these guys. I want an established relationship.
0: Yeah. And I was impressed with the dogs. And so that's kind of how we kicked off our relationship. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's been. I think a a very mutually beneficial relationship. You know, we have a lot of the same clients, customers. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think like we were just talking about nutrition and training do intersect quite a bit. Um, which I'm going to talk about. I told Liz, I was going to go off on a tangent later on in this podcast. So, um, but for now, I just kind of want you to tell us like, tell us about like who you are, you know, your background, um, I know you have some interesting stuff going on right now, too, um, and kind of like what Trinkle Packs is all about.
2: Yeah, so that is a loaded question. Uh, <laughs> There's like
0: four <laughs> questions in one.
2: It is. Yeah. So as a whole, we are more of a training company. However, we do offer boarding services, and really what to me sets us apart from the competition, so to speak, and that's its own thing. I don't think we're in competition with other people because our mindset is so different is we more focus on making sure the owners or as we call them handlers understand the progressive process and why it makes sense. There are so many different avenues for dog training and people get often so tied up in the lingo or the emotional aspects of tools, or what is right, what is wrong. You guys, when you do your podcast, one of the things I like that you keep bringing up is we're talking about nature. We're not talking about the idea of fur babies and what, you know, in an ideal world, like we have, um, you know, vegan clients, but they're gonna feed raw because it's gonna do right by the animal. Mm-hmm. The same t- aspect to me is involved in dog training. In an ideal world, and in a Disney world, We could do nothing but purely positive. That's not nature, right? Right. So I'm going off on a tangent on my own. I'm sorry. No, this is interesting. though. So in an ideal world, there is no conflict. There is no war. There is no famine. That's not nature, though, unfortunately. (laughs) Animals fight in nature. Animals correct each other in nature. And I don't know a living being on this planet that lives without conflict and a physical touch. I believe even plants have ways of sending – don't quote me on this one. This one we might have to take out. (laughs) But I believe plants even – studies have shown can can communicate with each other by sending out certain pheromones and stuff. Mm -hmm. So maybe that's not touch. But like everything on this planet interacts with some sort of physical interaction.
0: Well, this is interesting because I always tell people that dogs have – I think I read this. Do you ever read Brian Bailey's book? No. He talks about this, but that dogs have very few rules, but the rules they do have are very strict.
2: Yes, Yeah. exactly. And that's
0: always stuck with me.
2: And the strict part is the consistency we always talk about with people. Mm -hmm. Dogs don't follow, in my personal opinion, what I would call an alpha mentality. That's a really old school way of thinking. Sure. They follow the most consistent, balanced leader, right? Of course, health has a giant uh, portion of that. That's why animals then will um, overthrow the quote-unquote pack leader, mm-hmm. but it's if you are an, an owner or a handler who is constantly yelling and screaming at your dog and acting frantic, that's not a balanced, consistent leader. So at the end of the day, that's why the dogs blow them off. So even when we do training with clients, we have to tell them, hey, stop repeating the command so many times. Just stop, calm yourself down, follow through. And more. Of this, the more slowly you communicate with the dog, especially if you have a very um, –
0: even keel, excitable dog,
2: um, high adrenaline dog. Like the dog is very excitable. They want to chase squirrels. They see multiple distractions. They're very distracted animals. You need to slow it down because if you are being equally frantic, there's no leadership there. You're just contributing to that high energy. So a lot of times, you know, I went completely off the question, so please do direct me back to that at some point. Um, But ultimately, when we do the training, we're focusing on, again, teaching the nature of the animal. So because there is no animal in nature that can communicate purely without some form of touch, right? And even Mm -hmm. let's think about the blind or the deaf dogs we work with. Touch is very beneficial to them to help steer them. We always start with food in our training. Why? It's a great motivator. I really hate to make this comparison because I know there's a lot of conflict with it. But it's why the animals at SeaWorld perform for us. They don't love us. They don't want to do backflips for us. It's because we withhold something that they need to survive, which is their food.
0: It's the real, I mean, it's the real world, right?
2: What is the drive for the wolf to want to go out and explore territory? It's to find where they can find food, right? Mm -hmm. What's the drive? That's its own little rant. But um, so we do a lot of food training. And that's where we refer a lot of people to you because most pet dogs are what we call pet weight. A lot of dogs are overweight or obese, but at the end of the day, that's not always the case or at least the case that vets want to say to their clients, as you know, because they don't want to deal with the uh, fallback. So a lot of times dogs come to us. If you look at there's actually a uh, ideal body weight scale that you can just Google on the Internet. And and it's a lot of t- the
0: body score index.
2: Body score index, yes, thank you. Uh, there's a lot of dogs that fall within the acceptable weight range, but and I believe that's a three. Does that sound right to you?
0: <laughs> I don't. I don't know what it is. I okay. mean, I know what the body score index is because mm-hmm. I—that's I, how I gauge a dog. Okay. Um, like I want to be able to, you know, um, they should have a nice tuck from their ribs to the hips. Yes. I do want to feel, be able to at least feel the ribs, exactly. if not see a little bit of them. Um, Yeah, but that's my own, you know, I'd rather a dog be on the lighter side than on the heavier side. Exactly. That's how we phrase it,
2: right? It is uh, the lighter side for us is a working weight. Right. The slightly larger size, while still acceptable, is pet weight. And pet weight can be fine for future, right? But if we're going to train in the now, if we need to have something that's easily manipulatable, let's make sure the dog is leaner. Let's have them work for better quality food because most dogs, when they come in, you try to have them work even for a piece of freeze-dried raw They might turn their nose up at it if the distractions are high enough. So for us, we take the idea of food-based obedience training to its purest form, which is if you want to eat, you must work for your food. And it's the same idea as why most of us Luckily, not you or I, because we love our job, but why most of us go to work. It's because if we want to eat, we have to go to work. It's the same idea for the dogs then. It's one of the easiest things that we can manipulate with them without having to be confrontational. So we have the dogs work for all of their meals.
0: Some dogs like, I mean, some dogs just want to work for their food. And,
2: and you know, my dogs or, you know, as – Luckily, thanks to you guys and, you know, our fantastic clientele, we get a lot of referrals now for puppies. And, you know, if we're looking back on nature, puppies have to work for their meals. They vie with their brothers and sisters to try to get to the milk. So every puppy, when they come back or they go to their new family, they already have high food drive. So, and then they love to work for it because they are already psychologically conditioned to do that. Exactly. So, um don't want to spend too much time on, on just you know talking about the food, but ultimately we do a lot of food-based training because it's the most uh, easy-based behavior that we can manipulate and, again, limit any conflict. But unfortunately, it has some holes, right? Uh, and people, especially with their adult dogs, see this. So, you know, people could fast their dog for a few days. I know, you know, you guys have talked about intermittent fasting and stuff, very healthy for the dog. Pet people are very worried about this, so if we're talking about manipulating their food, you know, we talk about reducing the amount of food that they eat. We talk about uh, maybe skipping a meal or two, especially if you know they have no interest in hand feeding. That's uh, something we strongly encourage: is hand feeding over feeding in just a bowl. You can feed in the bowl, but more feeding from your hand. Um, I could go on a rant about that, but I'm not about how it can. Well, I think with. it's
0: I mean, there's so many different ways too. Like we, you know, we are. I feed my dogs once a day, you know, and we really promote, you know, for a healthy adult dog, that's, that's a great way, um, to just kind of help them maintain weight. It kind of helps reset their gut and regenerate cells and let them fight pathogens and do other things besides just digest food all day. But there's other ways to do that. You know, there's, um, caloric restriction on other days when maybe you're not training, um, or, you know, restricting the calories, um, a couple times a week you know what i mean so it's just you, you obviously you can continue to use that food for training but you're just not using as much or you're not maybe exactly. you just do that training session with the food there and then you're not feeding that other smaller meal later
2: exactly you know
0: what i mean so there's different ways to constrict calories for them so absolutely yeah. so, no that was actually my next question was was what is kind of like i know every training company has like a, a philosophy if mm-hmm. you will right and so kind of walk us through what the, the tranquil packs philosophy yeah. is
2: so, we do start with the, the food training, the food manipulation. That is the start. And I would say every dog we train is being trained in an exact pattern. And no, exact's not right. Every dog we train is being trained in a generalized template pattern. Right. And the first stage of that is the food training. Okay. So, we have, again, all that manipulation that we do with the food that I spoke on previously. And then once we have dogs... Is
0: there anything, sorry, is there anything owners have to do? Like I say, they bring a puppy to you Mm -hmm. and you want them to start with that food training. Mm
2: -hmm. I ask all owners, whether it be puppies or the adult dogs, I try to have at least a week in between the call if we can fit them in very soon Mm -hmm. to start hand feeding immediately. Eliminate all treats, all table scraps, which again has some negativities if they're only feeding kibble. Um, But what I would like is at the end of the day, the dog is just working for their meals just until we have them psychologically conditioned to work for us. So what do I mean by work for the handler? Food is the easiest manipulatable form. If I put a piece of food on my dog's nose and they are licking and nibbling and driving at it, very similar to where where a horse's head goes is where the body is going to go. It's very similar for a dog. So if I'm able to put a piece of food on the snout and have the dog change its head position and follow the angulation of my hand arm movement, Then I can easily teach a dog to sit down, flip into heel, etc. A lot of dogs have uh, affection drive, right? Or they have toy drive. Those are very hard to manipulate. It's hard to say, I'm going to give you kisses if you sit. Well, how do you lure the dog into a sit with kisses, right? Right. Um, Or what about a toy drive? So our Malinois, our Dutch Shepherds, our German Shepherds, our working dogs, Mm -hmm. uh, just to summarize that. They have very high ball drive, but a lot of times ball drive is the highest form of drive or toy drive is the highest form of drive. And for most dogs, then food drive is the lowest. So if I'm trying to teach a behavior, to teach it in overdrive is no good. We're not going to make a lot of progress. The dog can't Uh, think clearly.
0: So you need something that's more, that's not extremely high. Cause everyone's always looking for like that high value treat for training, but that's not really what
2: it could be for the, for the actual portion of food training that could work well because I will have a dog more vigorously drive in the hand, which means I have more consistent contact, Mm -hmm. which means I have an easier time steering their head. Okay. Easier time manipulating the body. Gotcha. But if we were talking about, Hey, I'm holding a ball and I'm trying to teach luring positions with the toy, the dog is going to be trying to jump up and grab the ball. It's a hard, there's really, there, there is very little driving behavior they could do with the toy. So that's kind of where the, the conflict comes into play. Gotcha. Or they might know positions, but they're so excited for the toy. They're offering 50 different positions because yep. they're in overdrive. Okay. So for us, the beginning stages of training is always food manipulation and teaching pattern training with the food. And the pattern training is not necessarily for the dog. It is more for the handler. Dog training is not teaching. Well, let me rephrase that. Dog training is probably 20% teaching the dog and 80% training the handler.
0: <laughs> and I was uh, actually going to touch on this later on in the podcast, <laughs> but um, I think that's a really important point, right? Because I think um, I see this all the time and I talk to Jordan about it all the time, but I think – from all the trainers that I've talked to, I think the most frustrating thing for them um, is they take the time and the energy to train a dog and go through all this work. And then the dog goes away for two weeks back to their handlers, and they come back to do a, a touch-up or whatever, and the dog's re- resorted back to yes. square one.
2: You know, I, th- I think the unfortunate thing, because dog trainers, regardless of who who they are, I think at the end of the day— we always want it more than the client Mm -hmm. because we have seen the light at the end of the tunnel. We have seen what Mm -hmm. your dog's capabilities are and we're dog trainers because we want to enhance the life for your dog, but also you. So we're super excited to give you the lives that we have with our dogs. The reason why we have a passion with these animals. But I also try to convey with people that we have pet people and we have dog people. That people see, for example, I, I, there's the movie Max that just came out. People see this awesome, well-trained Malinois, and they're like, that's such a cool dog. I want that dog. That dog is so obedient. You know, he's seen, you know, so that dog started off a little rocky, but then they yeah. have such a great relationship, and how obedient, how wonderful. Well, those I dogs, they're called they're... maligators for a reason. <laughs> like, they, yeah. they are literally described by most handlers as a weapon. hmm and unless you know exactly what you're doing with those dogs and you know exactly the right genetic lines to get for you and your family right. you have a liability 100% right yeah or you have a dog who's going to have a lot of terrible neuro uh, you're going to have a dog that has a lot of terrible neurological tics right right um
0: i say this all the time in the shop because jordan has the vixen the cattle dog mm-hmm. And Vixen is, I mean, Jordan spends a lot of time training that dog. I mean, it's constant every day. I mean, she has a right. dog at the shop. They're working on training. It's constant, constant, constant. But people come in and they see Vixen and they see how sweet she is, which she is an anomaly. Like she's, I mean, you know, those cattle dogs aren't the sweetest right. dogs. No, I mean, she they're... is super sweet. And, and but she's also, you know, Jordan spends so much time training her, but people see that. I always tell Jordan, she's like the worst thing to happen to the breed because, <laughs> because people see that dog and they're like, I want that dog. I want one. And they don't know what they're getting into. Exactly. So same kind of thing.
2: What sets us apart, I think, from other training companies, too, is the fact that I don't really care about your feelings too much. Yeah. So at the end of the day, I'm very honest with people. And I've had other trainers say, Liz, like we wish we could be that honest, but they're afraid of losing people. I'm not afraid of losing people because you have to be like, you're a professional. Like if you go to the doctor and there's some very unfortunate news or hard facts to hear, they have Mm -hmm. to tell you.
0: Well, you'd want, you'd want them to know you'd, I mean, I hate saying this, but you'd prefer to lose them in the very beginning before it started than at the very end. Exactly. I don't want a name
2: associated with a liability or with, you know, uh, a lack of effort or failure ultimately. Right. right? Mm -hmm. So um, I have, people call me then they have certain breeds and there are breeds you don't often hear of and I say, whoa, why did you get that dog? Oh you know it looks so cute and pretty and they're protective and we want a great guard dog. Well, you know how aggressive those dogs can be and people always forget you're not raising a puppy. you're raising a dog. Mm-hmm. They're only cute for so long, granted you know we all think our dogs are cute but they're only small, cute and innocent for so long. Right. They hit sexual maturity, genetics pop out. And, uh, you know, if you're wondering our stance on it, uh, you know, is it nature or nurture? It's, of course, both. Right. But genetics play the dominant role. So why did you get your dog? Did you get your dog because it looked pretty? You saw it in a movie, all these wrong ideas? Or did you get it because you researched the breed? You saw the true function of why the breed was bred. And you know for a fact that your family can handle that. I think most people I run into should just be getting Labrador retrievers. Mm -hmm. Because even German Shepherds, people are like, oh, that dog's so trainable. Those dogs can be very neurotic. They don't realize that if you don't raise them correctly, and very important too, you pick from the right genetic lines, you will have a dog that is constantly whining, constantly anxious. And unfortunately, for the more popular breeds that are often overbred, the braiders don't really care about those things. They care about putting out puppies that look nice and maybe they have good genetics, but ultimately the temperament and mind of the dog is not always balanced.
0: Right. Good physical, maybe genes, Mm -hmm. but mentally, behaviorally. Exactly. Some, some issues. Um, okay. So that's, so your philosophy. So the food training. Sorry. <laughs> um, pattern training. You don't care about feelings. <laughs>
2: nope. I'm 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 the the trainer people come to when they are looking for something a little bit more hardcore. Cause again, I I've never had a client I could not help or teach them how to have maintained control. What I mean by contained control, or excuse me, what I mean by maintained control is that. Nature plays such a dominant role with some genetics. And again, I mentioned that breeders do not always, probably shouldn't say that because I don't know how this is going to be brought back.
0: It's (laughs) okay. Sometimes their focus is more the the physical attributes over the, the behavioral attributes.
2: Sometimes we have dogs that people come to us and they say, what is your likelihood of being successful with this dog? And I say it's extraordinarily high. I've never had a dog I couldn't train. Unless we have an actual neurological issue. So we are very well known for working with bully breeds. Mm-hmm. Very, very, very few, less than 1% of those dogs have I ever had a neurological component where I have to worry about that dog. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, in that you know, less than 1%, one of those dogs did have to be euthanized because mm-hmm. he was a danger, danger to the public. Um, But the other dogs, as long as the owners understand that genetically this dog is imbalanced and genetically the dog has neurological tic, it's nothing you did as an owner. It just came out because of the backyard breeding that had been done. And again, most of these dogs are rescue dogs. Most rescue dogs don't actually have abuse in their background. They have very, very, very poor genetics Mm -hmm. and upbringing, right? But that does not equate to abuse. So with these dogs, for safety and liability reasons and to have the best possible life for yourself, for your own mental health and sanity, we do recommend that those owners have muzzles on their dogs. The dogs may never have done something inappropriate. Now, you guys, this is for that small less than 1% but then they can take these dogs out into public. And if you're ever looking for a big flashing red sign that you know maybe your dog's not dog social, it doesn't matter what breed your dog is, and you want people to avoid you, put a muzzle on your dog. Yeah. People will stay away from you. Don't yeah. worry about those leashes or the collars or the vests that say yeah. "in training" or "keep away." Put a muzzle on a your muzzle dog. Do That's the the best tool. Yeah. But then you're able to take your dog into public. You feel like you have a buffer. Your dog feels like they have a buffer. You're able then to kind of non-verbally keep people away. But then they're able to control their dog. They have the tools. At their disposal to have the consistency and then we keep everybody safe so those dogs will have to continue with that for the rest of their lives they have to do that maintenance Mm -hmm. but again that's that small less than one percent now that was a rant about okay well have you ever had a dog not be successful those dogs are still successful for what they're capable of doing it may not be what you view as success and if that's Mm -hmm. the case it's the wrong dog for the wrong family find it a great home get yourself something else Right. right Your dog is a dog, right? Right. But let's, let's go with um, – let's make up a name here. So Max. Great. So we have a dog named Max. The parents love him. They would do anything for him. They will spend any amount of money to give him the best quality of life, but he's a behavior or um, – he has very poor behavior. So if that's the case – We love Max. We have all these idealisms about Max, about his personality, how he feels. Okay. Right there was the statement of Max is a name, but it's the personality of you. But you have to respect the fact that Max is an animal, a dog, and you have to control those natural impulses and shape the personality that you believe he is. So you have to separate the two in order to truly have harmony with your dog. Because if you start to be like, oh, I, I have to correct Max for that behavior and you feel bad about it. No, you feel bad because you're thinking about Max, the personality, the animal, the animal that is a natural prey driven hunter that's willing to do damage. If you thought about just that, if you took away all the emotional association and you just treated the animal with the respect that they deserved for the actual animalistic tendencies that they have, you wouldn't feel bad about it. You'd say that needs corrected. But because you have that emotional attachment, it confuses the harmony of the relationship.
0: Very well said. I mean, I, that's and that's Brian Bailey's kind of. Yeah, that's we look at a stuff
2: then because we said yeah,
0: it's <laughs> I, I've given his book to like three or four customers. I think it's I have it with a customer right now, but um, I think it's called Taming the Wild. And um, I was actually talking to my personal trainer about this, too. He he bought the book and, and read it because he's got two two dogs. Um. But yeah, it's all about, you know, just respecting that your that your dog is not a human. He talks about and I'm not going to try to say the word because it always it's like in a morphic. it's about it's it's help. attaching uh, human qualities to to an animal. Mm-hmm. And it's a really really unhealthy thing for both you and the animal. Yes. Um and I don't really need to go into, you know, I I think I've talked about this on a previous podcast, but you you explained it beautifully. So
2: Thank you. Um, don't it's, do so. Don't do it. The fur
0: baby, yeah. the fur baby. Yeah, yes. yeah, and and yeah. So um, just respecting that your dog is is it's just that it's a it's a canine. It's yes. a subspecies of the gray wolf. You know, so you know, treat it as such.
2: Exactly. There is a dog training company, and I hope- You said on... she was
0: creative. She did something creative.
2: Yes. So I believe it's Beta Dog Training. Uh-huh. If you look them up on the Insta or Instagram or TikTok is actually the video that was sent to me. She went on a nice tangent. No. If you look them up on uh, Instagram or TikTok, TikTok yeah. is specifically where I found this video. She goes on a nice rant, and it's a great rant, where she is explaining how- People have a misconception of dog training. And it, again, goes in line with what I've been telling people, but in a much clearer way. So I tell people that your dog is not some electronic that we are somehow reprogramming, right? Right. Dog training is lifelong. Well, that, you know, kind of sits right with people. Some people, it doesn't 100% make sense with them. Mm. But she does a very good job of giving a comparison to gym membership in dog training. Yeah. And it doesn't matter how much money you spend with the best personal trainer in the world, if you don't show up and put in the work, if you're not consistent every day when you're not being watched, and if you don't continue working out as consistently as you need to, maybe every day, maybe a couple of times a week, whatever that is for your desired results, it's going to all fall apart. It might as well be like you never did it. Mm -hmm. And that's the exact comparison with dog training. I have imported dogs from Germany trained dogs and i've had great success with them i know people that have imported hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of more train. i'm sorry more training has been invested in those dogs and they have all these titles and this and that and they're such poor handlers and they never do anything with the dog you would never know that that was what this dog was it's a couch potato it got fat and it lays there and you're lucky if, if you tell it to foos it'll foos right yeah, or right, heal right um so Ultimately, dog training is not reprogramming or changing your dog. It is an investment in your education to learn how to stay consistent and properly communicate with your dog.
0: An investment in your education. Your I education,
2: like exactly. Like
0: I think it's worth every. I tell people this all the time. Like p- people ask me about dog training all the time, and I'm like, I don't know too much about it, but I will say, just with my experience of seeing dogs, like especially coming from trample packs, coming into the shop, like prior to them and then post, uh, post training. I don't wanna say post training, right? That's given off the wrong. After they've been trained for, you know, a few months, um, during the middle of their training, like just, it is worth every single dime. You know and, what I mean? And people are like, I, cause it is, it's a lot of money like up front. but I mean, it's years of, when you, when you have that, it's either like you have years of a good harmonious relationship with your dog or years of just disaster stress. Just lots of stress. It's the investment, right? So you
2: go to school to invest in your future with your education. Mm -hmm. And that's, again, what I think sets us apart from other dog training companies is we are training you or teaching you like you are another dog trainer. So to do a small rant, um, my staff are all people that either I have trained from clients or I started them off as though they were a client. And there is a natural progression. There's a natural progression in our training philosophy that if at any point in time you say to yourself, wait, that doesn't make sense. Can you explain why that works? And we can't explain why we're doing that. Well, A, we shouldn't be doing it. And B, we haven't had that problem because every step along the way makes sense. Mm-hmm. The uh, evolution, so to speak, of the dog's psyche and understanding the pattern training and their expectations all makes sense. And that's why really people come to us because it's not just do it because I said so because I know more than you and you're paying me. It's, well, this is why we should do this for this. Well, your dog is doing this. Well, here's why your dog's doing it. And here's – um some things you can do to help buffer this behavior or let your dog just keep pushing and they will then figure out, here's an analogy that makes sense to you. So it's, it's truly fleshing out and understanding the behavior versus just do this and you're going to have great results. Well, why? Yeah. How does that make sense? Yeah. So,
0: so you talked about, you talked about using food as a, a tool.
2: Yes. So, <clears throat> what other
0: what other tools are you guys using?
2: Yes. So, um, in our three step training philosophy, again, we do food based obedience as the primary or first stage. Mm-hmm. It does have some holes though. So, I do have a few training clients that the dogs are coming to us in later stages of life. Their food drive is very low. Their behaviors are very. Let's let's say that the dogs have a lot of anxiety, um, and to be able to take food in a new environment is sometimes nearly impossible, regardless of how much food manipulation we do So we switch them to raw. But you know that. that well, takes I see this in a shop. In-
0: I mean, we have dogs that are nervous <laughs> wrecks when they come. They especially COVID dogs who have mm-hmm. ne- haven't really been exactly. outside. The yeah, the COVID puppies and haven't really been exposed to too many situations, so oh. they come in a shop and they're nervous wrecks. They won't even take freeze dried for me. Yes. I mean, they won't even get near me. You know <laughs> what I mean? It takes a lot just for them to come close to someone. Right. Um, so, you know, that's that can be tricky it's to train a dog tricky. like very that. very tricky. Yeah.
2: So, you know, for those dogs, we, we do still create a protocol for them to eventually have food drive, but that's going to take a while because their wiring right. is so off. It's not happening overnight. So our a second stage of training, and ideally after the dog has gone through the food training, is to teach leash pressure. Now, leash pressure for us is very similar to uh, horse reining. Right. If you've ever seen somebody on TV working with a horse, this analogy should make sense. If you're an actual um, horse enthusiast, horse enthusiast, mm-hmm. this should make more sense. So when we have reins on the horse, we're not popping their head and like you're jerking them around and yanking them around and stuff. Everything is smooth and continuous. The pressure is clear, linear, directional pressure.
0: Yeah, I've always I was asking this. I think when I when we were training a dog in the shop one time. Um, and I never realized this, like you, you always see people like jerking on the leash and you're thinking like, they're like telling the dog no, or are you bad mm-hmm. or something like that? But no, it's giving them direction, like down,
2: you know if what I mean? If they're trained. if
0: Right. Yeah. So, but there's, there, I guess to your point, there's a reason why it's, it's giving them direction. Exactly. Yeah.
2: Like I see pet owners, they jerk on the leash, but they're just jerking on the leash because they're frustrated. Right. right. That's a totally different, um language. So uh, mm-hmm. we actually call it the language of the leash. So uh, I, I misinterpreted your point. I'm sorry that I interrupted you. And I think what you were saying is when you see our trainers or our clients come yeah. in with leash pressure, I was thinking just clients in general coming mm-hmm. in pulling on the leash. I'm yeah. sorry about that. Um, but no, yeah.
0: Yeah. Specifically you guys.
2: Yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> so our, our trainers or our clients, we teach them that if you, or I guess what we specifically tell them is I want you to imagine a geometric grid at your dog's shoulder height. And for those that don't remember math, that just means you have a horizontal plane and you have a vertical plane. Mm. And different angulations of that leash pressure is a cue for certain behaviors. So we overlay the dog learning continuous, meaning non-popping, on their flat collar pressure release systems. So if you feel the leash continuously pulling at this angle and you yield to that pressure, you get double reward. One, leash pressure stops, which... Eh, Some dogs might like, some may not. Mm -hmm. Um, But then we have, I want to say that that didn't make sense. We have dogs yield to the leash pressure, which is double reward, where the dog first gets lack of leash pressure. And then second, as long as the dog has high food drive, is then given a quicker result or quicker reward of food. Uh, For the dogs, though, unfortunately, that don't have high food drive at that point, we can't give them a tasty treat. But for a lot of those dogs, the affection from their handler is very rewarding. Or if it's not rewarding, because a lot of owners think it is, but really the dog's behavior doesn't perk up. They don't change, right? Right. So a lot of the times I tell people, well, rather than just sitting there and giving them a hug or kiss where the dog still just looks equally confused and complacent, Mm -hmm. why don't you run around with them or lunge them in a circle? So movement actually unlocks a dog's brain. And so when they start to run around, you'll see them start to – I think it probably has to do with re- releasing some sort of hormone that maybe dopamine. I d- don't yeah. quote me on that. But something like that where it starts to make the dog feel happy. So a lot of times lunging the dog in a circle and then verbally praising them will make that tail wag and then release that psychological pressure. So, so for the
0: dogs that don't, aren't really food motivated, aren't really responding to, yeah. to leash pressure. Um, is that what you're saying?
2: So uh, as a reward. As a reward. Sorry. As a reward for caving to so it.
0: So they're not responding to food. They're not yes. responding to like high, high praise. Yes. Then it's it's I kind Lunge- of run them in a circle. Yeah, a bit.
2: exactly. Because again, the think about it like a prancing effect. Yeah. To run in a circle, the dog is like, oh, okay, we're running around having fun. Not the dog sitting there and getting a pat on the head. They, right. They. We like to think our dogs love our affection as much as we love to give them affection. It's it's very rare, especially in high-distraction scenarios. So again, within the second phase of training, we teach that continuous leash pressure. And eventually we teach it, and the dogs start to figure out the pattern training. And I'm going to stick now more towards the dogs that have the food drive because we do eventually get the dogs there with their food drive. So now we have a dog who starts to see you telegraph a movement to cue a behavior and not because the pressure has been adversive or corrective might be a better word or scary, even a better word. The dog just understands that this language of this leash, this directionality is a cue for behavior and I get a faster result of food. So quickly as you start to put on leash pressure or telegraph that movement prior to you putting on full pressure, you may see the dog revert to the behavior because they understand it now as a game. And that's why we call it leash games eventually, because the dogs start to see the behavior rather than thinking, oh, this is militant. Oh, I'm getting corrected. They understand it leads to the playing or the interaction of food. Okay. Okay. Great. We have a dog that understands that. We have a dog in low distraction that understands that. You put them into a high distraction situation that they are not able to emotionally regulate. In an ideal world, you could take months and months and months and months to teach that. That's very difficult and that's also why we don't do solely food-based training. So when we see the dog has the animation for the behavior taught by the food, when we see the dog fully understands the leash games, mm-hmm. now we can overlay actual corrective tools. And corrective tools are not bad things. Everybody always yeah, has these. Yep. <laughs> Every it's it's kind of like the negative um, I don't know if stereotype or stigma might be the, the better word of raw feeding. Mm-hmm. Corrective tools now has that because of all of the marketing that's out there.
0: Well, it's kind of it's funny cuz uh, you know I, sometimes I don't call raw food, raw food. I'll call it fresh food. Mm-hmm. So people just can at least um, kind of think around that for a second. Right. Um, it's kind of the same thing. Like, you know, and, and even when I was a kid, it was called a shot caller. Shot caller. Shot caller. And now we call it an uh, e-caller. Yes. Or maybe there's another word, a, a softer term for it. Yep. Um, I, I, I remember when you were in a shop, and this is the first time I really had experience with a shot caller, e-caller um and you're like no like here i put it in your hand and i'm i'm gonna like shock Shock you you. (laughs) (laughs) and i was like okay and you did it and i I was like i'm ready and you're like i already did it like you can't even feel it because you know it's and that was in you know the palm of my hand which is a really sensitive part Mm -hmm. of my body right so um and that's i think you said like that's usually the level you guys use exactly and that's all it takes yep you know what i
2: mean um so and I'm going to dive, oh, I'm going to deep dive in that Sure. Kind of a bit. I think, um, well,
0: e-collars is something I didn't want to talk about because I think there is um, a huge stigma around them, yes. you know, and I think that there's also, and, and and maybe there should be for the people that, you know, just strap that onto their dog and don't do the proper training or going through the right education before using them.
2: Definitely. Um.
0: So there's, you know, the last to talk about.
2: Well, to do a small rant on that. So I do agree with these companies I'm not going to name names because I think that could get into some uh, sticky situations. Mm -hmm. But there are some large chain pet stores that used to sell bark collars or e-collars slash shock collars slash remote training collars, whatever you want to call them, Mm -hmm. right? And now you go into the stores and you see a little sign on the window for it saying, we don't recommend this at all. You should do all positive training and contact our trainers. Mm -hmm. Well, why are you selling it in your store, right? Right. So the reason that we use food-based obedience is the exact reason why they are successful in those studies. But then you also hit the limitations, right? So um, when we do our leash training, we eventually do dive into corrective training. Mm -hmm. And the corrective training is for us, or excuse me, the corrective training for the leash training is we utilize prong collars, or they're also called pinch collars, and people think that they look like medieval torture devices, and they do, do. right? (laughs) They they do. Um, But there's a reason that they're so much more effective than other tools, and that's not because we're yanking the dog's head off or intimidating them or gouging prongs into their neck. So. Prong collars are actually more accurately called pinch collars. And the reason they're called pinch is not because you're pinching your dog. It's because the prongs, you pinch them together to slide the links in there and you pinch it apart to take it apart. That's where the name came from, right? Mm -hmm. So ultimately, these tools are meant to emulate nature. Dogs don't sit there and talk with each other and say, would you please stop jumping on me? Puppy, puppy, you're pulling on me and grabbing me with your mouth a little too hard. Could you stop Mm -hmm. or gently put their paw on the puppy's head? They look at that dog with a little bit of a whale eye, which is a side white eye. And you can see that that dog's giving a clear back off signal. And if they don't, they snap at the dog or they'll bite them with their teeth.
0: Yeah, this is kind of what I was going back to before is is dogs have... Very few rules, exactly. But the rules they have are very strict. Exactly. I uh, can. I mean, you're saying this, and I'm thinking of Mozzie in my head. He turns his head to the side. If there's a puppy that wants to jump on him, he immediately turning his head to the side, raising his gums, showing his teeth. If the puppy still doesn't get it. He's going to snap. Exactly. You know what I mean? And it's a good way for the puppy to learn.
2: <laughs> you know, and there's that, boundaries. That's how they learn. Like that's right. that's the thing people keep forgetting. Like I, I encourage you go onto YouTube and Google. Mama dog correcting puppies. Mm-hmm. Every pet owner is going to be nervous watching that. But why? That is the mom and that is her puppies and that is nature. She's not sitting there and encouraging and rolling over a treat to her puppies. Hey, stop beating up each other. Like, physical touch is how they interact with the world along, of course, with body language, body yeah. language and such. But we're talking about nature and we're talking about animals. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, I-, I love you know your name because it really boils down to what the the animal is it's a bunch of fangs and thank you, know, you. that's fur. the whole reason of yeah. the,
0: people ask me what actually n- not a lot of people ask me they just think it's like a cute name but that's the whole point is is a little reminder that hey our dogs are beasts our cats exactly. are beasts okay they they are not cute he- little baby humans mm-hmm.
2: you know so i'll add to your name <clears throat> yeah. it should be claws right fangs mm-hmm. fur and claws Yep. because when we're working with the dogs i tell people all the time First off, they're animals, and that's easy to say, right? But you have to remember they perceive the world completely different from us. We do not go around biting each other with fangs. Like literally, you guys, they're fangs. They, mm-hmm. they, they are very sharp and pointy and can do a lot of damage, yep. as are their claws, talons, however you want to put it, mm. um, nails, nails. Right, for, for easy layman's terms. But they jump on each other with these very sharp objects with high velocity running at each other and pressure when they finally land on each other. And that also goes with their teeth. If people were doing that to you, that's called assault and does a lot of damage and you might end up in the hospital, but dogs, because of the buffering layer, excuse me, the buffering layer mm-hmm. of their fur, right? Yeah. And because they perceive the world differently through touch and because they feel things differently because they have a different genetic makeup and all these other ranting things. Yeah. What you perceive as a correction is not what your dog perceives as a correction.
0: And also and, the dogs have very like the it's it's comparable to our hand. Like their mouth, they, they can utilize, they have the same, um, I guess, dexterity as we do with our hands. Exactly. Like it's the same, they know what they're doing. You know, like dogs play by all the time mm-hmm. and they know they, you know, they'll learn pretty quickly, you know, not to bite you too hard, where where that threshold is. Exactly. You know? So that, I think people see these things and it looks violent, but it's really not, I mean, sometimes it can be, but a lot of times it's not as bad as it looks.
2: A uh, small rant, we are a big advocate or not going to dog parks. Yeah. Why don't we like dog parks? Because at the end of the day, dog trainers call it the fight club for dogs.
0: Yep. It's an octagon.
2: So ultimately, when we have dogs out in the fight, I don't want to call it the flight club or fight club. Ultimately, we have dogs out in the dog park. It is an, a free for all and it's kind of going back to the initial nature. So we have puppies, they are roughhousing with each other. Mama sometimes has to come in and break it up because it gets to be a little bit too intense. What do you think, and I might have had this conversation with you in the past, what do you think at its purest form playing with each other in that kind of roughhousing environment really is?
0: Um, within the puppies?
2: Within the nature of the animal, yeah.
0: Um,
2: what are they learning from it?
0: They're learning hunting skills. They're learning um, behavioral, where they are in their in – their-
2: Pack. Can mm-hmm. I say pack. Hierarchy. Pack. Hierarchy, yeah. yeah I
0: hate saying that. But yeah, hierarchy. Um
2: You said it earlier with the how hard they can bite.
0: Oh, just learning how
2: bite in de- a that,
0: Just the dexterity of their mouth and so how to utilize it.
2: Ultimately it's teaching fight behavior. Okay. Right? So how hard can I bite my brother before he screams? Yeah. With how much force can I push on him? If I flip him over, with the reaction? Right. So play behavior. That's so relatable,
0: even with humans.
2: Mm Mm-hmm. It's just exactly with kids, right? Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) So play behavior is actually teaching how to fight or fight behavior. So we hate dog parks because oftentimes, and it's the same with people, right? All this is very relatable where you have a small child. And they're just learning the way of the world, but they're pretty ignorant and innocent, and they're very, very tolerant, mm-hmm. right? So puppies play together in roughhouse in ways that adult dogs don't allow because mm-hmm. it's such a rude behavior because technically there is some fight behavior in there, right? right. It's, it's dominance behavior being right. um, tested. So we have puppies being very tolerant of, of that, but as dogs age and mature. They because again, that is no longer acceptable, that is now considered dominance or fight behavior, we have dogs that in dog parks never really had real corrections because parents don't want to see dogs correct each other, which again is nature and what is needed for learning. Mm-hmm. So if you just take your dog to the dog park, unless you have a very happy-go-lucky dog, let's say the ignorant lab that doesn't care what another dog to them or what another dog does to them, we oftentimes see dog fights break out. And that is another reason why in our philosophy of training, we do not allow dogs to roughhouse. What that means is we don't allow dogs to mouth each other. We don't allow them to jump on each other, but they can zoom around the yard and chase each other. Mm-hmm. They can kind of um, bump up against each other a little bit as long as that bumping doesn't lead to them trying to flip the dog over. They can play bow, all of those non-rude behaviors. Because you don't know your dog until you know your dog. You could think your puppy is the most happy-go-lucky dog in the world. And suddenly, again, you guys, dogs, don't sit there and have large conversations. Everything's in the body language of the dog. This new dog you thought your dog was getting along great with could suddenly side-eye your dog. Fight. Yeah. It's on.
0: It happens all the time.
2: Because it's it's completely nonverbal, right? People are, are seeing a tail wag and they think a tail wag means the dog is happy or friendly. It doesn't mean that.
0: No, that's uh, it's a really I hear that all the time in the shop. Oh, like his tail's wagging. He's happy. Mm-hmm. That's that's excited. Yep. That could be happy. That could be. Um, I mean, if you look at if you watch like wild canids hunting wild, what are their tails doing when they're hunting? What are they doing when they're eating mm-hmm. a huge buffalo or elk? Their their tails are wagging, exactly. right? If they're they're hanging on to the throat of an elk or whatever. <laughs> Their tails are wagging. Like, it's it, the tail wagging could mean – it has so many different meanings. Mm-hmm,
2: you know exactly. I mean? Or if you've ever seen dogs fight in the dog park and you're pulling away – Tails are wagging. So they had a good time with that, right? Yeah. So, again, dog parks are not very safe. And then as your – I guess the message I'm trying to get across is as your dog sexually matures, uh, it's it's not very appropriate to let your dogs just have a free-for-all. So, uh, the, you know, I do still have people that they want their dogs to play like that. And I'm like, that's fine. You just have to know the risk versus or the cost benefit of right. that. And 100% trust your gut. If at any point you're like, ooh, that seems odd, immediately break them up. Because you're probably right. Because you're also an animal. Your instincts will kick in. Right. You are more of a prey creature than you are the you know, the hunter as much as we like to think we are. Right. So when our gut says that, that behavior looks odd, boom, break them up because mm-hmm. they might be getting into something here shortly.
0: Yeah, dog parks are. It took me, um, unfortunately, too long to learn that dog parks were just not a place for Mozzie. And it's tough because I think a lot of you You posted something on Instagram that showed that it was like 90, there's like a bell curve and like 90% of dogs are not um, dog park dogs. That's hey. not the right term, but they're not the dogs that we see, you know, human, we see all these dogs out in public at like, you know, parks, dog parks and and parks and, and restaurants and patios and stuff like that that are really super happy, go lucky dogs. You know what I mean? But that's only like 5% of dogs. Right. You know what I mean? And then you have the 5% that are super aggressive, right? That mm-hmm. you don't really see at all. And then you have most dogs that are kind of like, I, I think where Mozzie is, right? He's got a few dogs he really loves. He really likes, you know, or certain types of dogs he really likes. And there's some type of dogs he just wants to annihilate. Yep. You know what I mean? Just their energy is just like too much for him.
2: He, and, but that's nature, or that's also nature, right? right. So he, he wants to correct that imbalance mm-hmm. as he should. That dog should not be unbalanced. But yeah. we as humans create it. Um, But that also kind of leads me to another rant Yeah. (laughs) where it's nature still. I walk in here. I met all of you. Of course, I know you, Anthony. And I feel like with you and your family, I'm friendly enough that we could probably high five, maybe get a hug in there here or there. right? Right. We know each other. Sure. If I came in here and the new people that I just met today started hugging on me and, you know, some people as a friendly gesture, like grab somebody by the shoulder and shake them. Hey, how are you doing? Mm -hmm. I would probably want to push you off of me. And if you kept being that friendly continuously, I would probably want to correct you in some way. Right. It's the same thing with dogs. Like they are pack creature. We we are actually, I think, pack creatures. Mm -hmm. We're social. Right. But we also have to allow polite interaction and there are some rules like you're saying with that yeah. so that's why most dogs are not social as people have the disney perception of a dog being social yeah. social uh, socialization for us actually means neutrality and it's very similar to a service dog mentality i can take you wherever i want i can take you around people and other dogs but that doesn't mean interaction that means not being nervous not being shy not being overexcited those right. types of things
0: yeah a um I always tell people you kind of want, like when I'm walking my dogs, like I want them to be indifferent more than anything.
2: Mm-hmm. You
0: know what I mean? Um, like when we, uh, when we pass another dog, you know what I mean? Like I just want them to just, my dogs just to continue doing what they're doing. Exactly. I don't want them to go say hi to that dog. You know what I mean? Neutral.
3: Just
2: neutral.
0: neutral. Just neutral. So. Yeah.
3: This is Dr. Jim Carlson. We look forward to seeing you at Lifetime Pet Wellness Center. Our friendly professional team helps us offer your pet conventional medicine, surgery, and dentistry, as well as integrative options like acupuncture, chiropractics, nutritional medicine, Chinese herbal medicine, homeopathy, cold laser therapy, pulsed magnetic therapy, and ozone. We have recently added PRP, platelet-rich plasma, and stem cell therapies. These new therapies increase our philosophy of regenerative medicine, and are often used for arthritic conditions, but have many other uses as well. We are strong believers in the use of wholesome fresh foods and raw foods. Since healthy diet probably accounts for seventy-five percent of your pet's health, visit us on Facebook, Instagram, or the web at ww.lifetimepetwanus.com or call six one four eight 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 two one zero zero.
0: So we talked about um So we're going to talk about e callers
2: Yes. So no, and trust me, I'm going to get there. I'm so sorry. I, I I just want to touch on. on,
0: I want to touch on that subject because I think it's definitely there's just like I said, there's a huge stigma around them.
2: Absolutely. So worth touching on. uh, In our training philosophy, then we have that third and final stage of training, and I also think that's another reason that we are different than other training companies. Uh, You have some singular training companies that just put one tool on a dog and say go some. Training companies don't use food at all. Some people just use this third stage or third training philosophy, which, again, I might be able to rant on, but creates a lot of issues by itself. So for us, the final third stage of training is teaching the remote training caller or e-caller as we like to call it. Now, ultimately, at the end of the day, that's still a shot caller, right? right? But to me, I have to give it a different name because to me, there are different callers on the market. And the collars that we utilize, so we specifically utilize e-collar technology brand, those are very, very, very low voltage. So when you tell the story that the working level that we use for some dogs, you really couldn't even feel it, or if you did, it was very little. Mm-hmm. That's the purpose for us. We are not looking to create escape avoidance like you would with a high-voltage shock collar, right. where I have felt those collars on a one- and my arm does an involuntary spasm, not where my muscles twitch, but where my arm actually jerks, right? And I don't want to feel it again. And I definitely don't want to experience it too because I might want to cry a little bit, right? Those are very different tools. Um, and technology has come such a long way. Old school shock collars, you used to have to physically get the dog back to you, open up this big honky box, and rewire it to have different levels. So as you can imagine, that's very tedious. So when the dog felt it, the dog felt it. Mm-hmm. And if the dog was strong enough to continue its work, great, you would continue with those dogs. But that's why I think it got such a negative stigma is because the technology was just so, so harsh, Yeah. right? But technology, as we know, always changes. Mm-hmm. So now we have these very low voltage tools that can be used for steering, guidance, and communication in forms of touch that are not going to create fear. Okay, so then that's an important
0: point, mm-hmm. I think, because I think, um, like, I can only imagine putting some of these shot colours on a dog that's already fearful or yes. already super nervous or are, shy. You know, all these things. I feel like it would exemplify all those things exactly and people do a
2: lot of the time right yeah. so um you know the dogs that have been through our training philosophy the, the owners do they get nervous they're like okay here here comes the the big test to see if these guys are really uh you know fit into us or you know is this philosophy a, a, a sensical through and through and so how we specifically use a remote training collar is very similar to the leash training <clears throat> excuse me all dog training is to us is working on getting attention so the leash is a physical means of getting attention because we actually have a lifeline on our dog. Mm-hmm. Now, dogs are creatures that of habit, of course, but also of location. So if you teach behaviors within your five- or six-foot leash, and that could also include the recall or the come command, your dog actually only understands that within the length of the five- or six-foot leash. So your dog is not being... Naughty, right, or disobedient from 30 feet away when you practice a a recall. They just don't know what that is. The context does not make sense anymore. So, what you could do is then you could put on a 30 foot leash and practice leash recalls with your dog, and then a 100 foot leash, and then a two, and you see the pattern, right? But you also can imagine how tedious and how tangled and how objects could get in the way. It's very difficult to teach a reliable recall doing just that. It takes a lot of effort, which Great, put in the time and effort and do it. Most of us now have too busy of a lifestyle. So an ease of transition then is to teach this remote training collar or e collar And at the end of the day, how we teach it, it's very Pavlovian in that we teach the dog not with correction. We don't use it to eliminate behaviors. We teach it as the invisible leash. So if the dog is looking away from us, we practice low-level stem, tapping them on the shoulder with it. And the what dog do doesn't tap Wait. them with the e-collar. They feel the oh, okay. stem at a nice low level or whatever. Again, low, by the way, you guys, is subjective. So uh, the e-collar technology collars have a range of 0 to 100. Wow. And so most dogs- It's a huge range. It's a huge range. But we can also use those collars on the super, super soft shy dogs.
0: Right. That's, that's a great thing.
2: Uh-huh. Yeah. All the way to the heavy duty, let's say, uh, mastiffs that are very, uh, or no, let's do bulldogs. I think everybody yeah. knows the bulldogs are the ones that like to be more belligerent. But, yeah. um, so what we do is we tap them on the shoulder with the actual stimulation. And you know that sounds so cruel. Why are you touching them with it? What does the stimulation feel like? If you guys have ever been to the OSU fair, or uh, I think probably it's expanded to um, massage therapy, it's a pad, it's a tens unit, it's a pad that you can put on your body, and people can use it therapeutically to massage yourself, and that is still electric stimulation. Mm -hmm. It is contracting and expanding your muscle in a massage behavior. Right. Doctors and chiropractors also use it. They use it in a less comfortable range because they're trying to rebuild muscle. So that is the best comparable. If you've never felt one of these collars, that is the best comparable form of touch where it can be um, not scary. It's just literally touch, right? And unless you know what that touch is leading to, like if you're doing a massage on yourself, then that's relaxing. The dogs don't know what it's leading to. So how we train it is the dogs aren't looking at us. So there's no cue. They don't think they're supposed to recall or do a behavior or anything like that. The dogs are looking away from us, and we'll tap them on the shoulder with the stimulation. And we're looking for some sort of response that the dog has felt it. And that could be that their ears twitch. Mm -hmm. That could be they look around like, is something raining on me, (laughs) right? They might scratch at it thinking that a bug's crawling on them. Mm -hmm. Some very small reaction. And we mark and we reward it. And we do that again and again and again and again. And then we have progressive behavior right so if an association is that i feel this and then i'm getting 50 bucks which in the dog's case is their food right or maybe some sort of we actually like to use a very high value treat when we associate the stimulation okay so we will at that point then use um maybe boiled or baked chicken freeze dried raw something that's going to be like a gold to the dog right
0: so you're you're trying to make it a positive
2: yes exactly that this is no different than my hand touching you Just somehow my finger is able to expand, excuse me, my finger is able to expand to up to a half a mile range, which is the range of the collars, right? So if I tap you on the shoulder and I keep doing that again and again and again, and I give you a piece of food, eventually, naturally, right, through just this pattern training, if I tap you on the shoulder, you're eventually going to start to look at me. And then we start to reward that. So now we're actually creating that turning and looking behavior. You do that again and again and again. If every single time I tap you on the shoulder and you turn and you look and I've been feeding you food, eventually I'm going to tap you on the shoulder and you're just going to immediately start to walk towards me assuming that that's what we're going to do anyway. So there we've just taught a recall to the dog. Okay. right? So we've, that's
0: your the Pavlovian exactly. experience
2: there. Exactly. Okay. So yeah. the dogs associate the, the stimulation not to you're in trouble, but that your handler needs you for something, and they're going to give you something good.
0: Right. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. See, I didn't know that. So it, there's something to, like, do you guys put the collar on for like a week or so before even – Yes.
2: <clears throat> Before you
0: should, even turn it on. Exactly.
2: Right? Like all sorts of tools really should be worn and practice. And this goes through if you train with a uh, gentle leader or a head halter Mm -hmm. all the way through remote collar training put the tools on the dogs without giving any sort of cue of what it actually is so it becomes neutral like the dog's flat collar so they don't 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 become reliant exactly yes okay um that also goes into people being like well yes i love my e-collar but at the same time they'll say i'm so impressed liz watch i pick up my remote my dog's an angel well, great, now you're reliant on the tool. The whole right. point of this is to not do that, but hey, uh, whatever see, makes people feel comfortable and yeah. happy.
0: Yeah, but that's so. a really important point. I think Jordan told me that, and I was like, wow, that makes complete sense mm-hmm. to me, but I've never, I would never have thought about that.
2: It's just supposed to be an extension of yourself, and that's why, right. I mean, you've seen my dogs. I don't have to walk in with them on training tools for the rest of their life. They, yeah. they assume that somehow I'm some magical creature that is able to, from a distance have always immediate control of them and, and manipulation. Mm-hmm. They psychologically are conditioned that I am a magician. Yeah. And that is the least uh, path of resistance and in their benefit to follow and be guided by me because I make everything good happen.
0: And all I can think about is how happy and satisfied, like fulfilling their lives are Compared to dogs who have never had that, mm-hmm. they've never had an e-collar. They've never had these these training tools. And now it's just their dogs are constantly dragging the owners around. They're constantly yanking them. It's just a life of stress. They can't, they don't understand each other. Exactly. You know, I think that's where it's, you know, people, the, the e-collars have this bad, bad stigma. But if you do it and you do it correctly, it can have. It ins- opens up
2: so many avenues. Yeah. Like, you know, dogs are not meant to just be walked a short distance around the block. They're meant to really run out their energy, explore over miles and miles and hunt for food and all these other fulfilling things. Well, if you have your dog off leash trained, now you can go to a safe, open park. Mm-hmm. You can just let them run out some energy versus you're confined by a leash. Yeah. and the fun of that is people love to do off-leash hikes with their dogs, yeah. right and they have the ability to recall their dog back if they see somebody else coming down the path that maybe doesn't have as much control
3: yeah. have
2: their dog go into a heel, a down or something and they don't have to feel that same frustration, which you know with uh, excuse me the same frustration that the other owner has, which leads me to I think the most important part to me of the collar training is that it, enhances the life of the owner. So when I was a child, I grew up with Siberian Huskies. That is my foundation. I was going to
0: ask, is this, I mean, (laughs) Mm -hmm. is this kind of, is this, is, is the life with a Siberian Husky off leash? Is that a possible, is that a possibility? Okay.
2: But in my childhood, uh, my first ever dog was a Husky and she was a runner. (laughs) And I remember the crippling anxiety and the, the high adrenaline and the tears when that dog would get off the leash my world ended, Mm -hmm. right? Like I think every owner at some point has felt that sudden heart jarring moment where you're like, oh my gosh, my dog is off the leash. Can I get them back? Will I ever see them again? Is a car coming? Like all Mm -hmm. of these horrible anxiety filled moments. For me, the off-leash training or the e-collar training is leading to that off-leash reliability. And that doesn't mean your dog has to ever be off the leash. That means that if you accidentally did not close the front door all the way, and your dog just ran out the front door, and your dog has not practiced off-leash recalls, or let's go back to leash training, dogs are creatures of habit. Like, they're, they're very intelligent. Mm. And so if you always have a leash on them when you practice and train, and you never get to that reliable stage with just leash training, where they're not dragging the leash, that leash comes off, they associate the leash pressure, that drag from it, again, dragging along the ground to the leash being on. If they've never practiced the recall with the leash being off, then they don't have that reliability and understanding that they have to follow through. Right. So dogs that go through e-collar training because they don't feel the weight of the leash become much more reliable if there are no tools in the future Right. because they are used to that weightlessness, right. so to speak. I got so you. if somebody opens up the front door and their dog runs out in the front yard, are they going to panic that the dog is running into the street and now they have to go catch it and they couldn't run as fast as a dog because none of us can. Mm-hmm. And now the dog is at least a neighborhood away and you have to go try to track it down. That's a horrible feeling and a horrible day. Yeah. I love that my clients can say, I have a small little dog and they're oftentimes, sometimes faster than the big dogs. And you know, I used to worry that because my dog is such a flight risk or escape artist That they would run off and now I'm chasing them down the street hoping a car doesn't come right right? now My dog gets out the front door heck Sometimes I just let them go out the front door and i'll sit on the front steps and watch them run around the front yard Call them back in it takes the anxiety away or the uncertainty away. Yeah, and it creates a large realm of safety
0: It is I mean just to be able to have your dog enjoy life off leash I think I I got extremely lucky with mozzie. I think he's just I didn't go through any of this stuff. I mean, if I could do it all over again, I would, mm-hmm. but I think I just got lucky with him. He's just a good dog. And I think, well, he grew up in the city too. Mm-hmm. And so like, I think that really helps just being experienced in different situations. Um, and this is when I mean, we lived in Seattle. So I was, I was really confident with him in the be- very beginning. Like if we're, if I'm going to drive an hour to go hike in the mountains, like he's not wearing a leash. Right. <laughs> and like, and I didn't, I just took the leash off and he was always really good with his recall. And it was just a, I think I just knew him pretty well at that point, you know, I felt comfortable enough to do that. But if I could do it all over again.
2: And for me too, like Border Collies, they're really, really, really smart breed. So a lot of times, uh, those are the dogs that you see with just treat training, right? Mm -hmm. Or maybe training with a tug and they're like, you know, we don't have a need for those tools, but I think it's good. Like you're saying to train it anyway, just right. so you know, if you ever felt the need to have it, 100%. you have a plan B. And and right. that's the thing I think people don't always think about because they, they say, you know, my dog's so well-trained, I don't think I need those tools. Or actually, <laughs> not well-trained. My dog is such a good dog. Mm-hmm. They don't need those tools. yeah The tools have nothing to do with your dog being a good dog or not. It has to do with, they're still an animal. And even, don't quote me on this. I think they said that Border Collies, while well, probably one of the most intelligent breeds, still only have the IQ of of a very intelligent five-year-old. I want to say that's what it was, but they still have limited capacity to think in contrast to us, right? right? So that's, you know, I go on this rant earlier about how a dog is still a dog, right? right? We are very different from dogs. So, as as good as we think our dog is, it's still an animal. It's still fallible, just like we're fallible. Right. So, to have a plan B, it's
0: like a security blanket.
2: Exactly. Sure. It's always the safest thing to do. Right. Um, Again, not saying you always need it. Like, Mazis is fantastic, right?
0: He is. But I think, like I said, if I could do it all over again, he would have definitely been trained that way. You know what I mean? Because it, you know, there's, I, I still take a lot of risks with him, you know? we live in Grandview right now and I throw the Frisbee with him in the front yard and it's, you know, it's it's right on third Avenue. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? He just knows his boundaries really well, but there's always that risk. You know what I mean? And I probably would feel better. I'd be more confident if he had had some training like that.
2: Right. And that's the perfect word, right? Confidence. Right. right?
0: Um, yeah. Um, okay. So we, t- food, leash, tools, kind of want to talk about
2: i'm happy to talk about everything uh, okay, i kind
0: of want to talk about so you know there's the whole harness is there do i do i use a harness do i use a um a flat collar um i get a lot of customers using retractable leashes you're just shaking your head no no no
2: <laughs> so uh retractable leashes as a whole could be fine if you have a tiny tiny puppy um, but in most cases, they should be let's thrown just say, in the trash can. Let's just say no. Yeah. Yeah. Let's, yeah, let's, let's just, just exactly say no. just yeah. say no to it.
0: The, the, the reason why you're saying it's okay for puppies is I think I've heard you talk about this before where you like the puppies to be able to explore.
2: Yes. So, get some
0: confidence as a puppy, right?
2: And, and uh, so... As a training company, we have changed our philosophy a little bit just to help with the frustration of owners. Mm -hmm. I, however, in raising my own puppies still believe in this. And that is that a young dog needs to be able to explore the world, but in a safe way and their body is still growing and forming Mm -hmm. and as they mature. Right. So I like my puppies to grow up in a harness and they grow up in a harness. So they are allowed to pull. Well, that sounds kind of bad, right? Are so not aren't I teaching my dogs to be naughty? Exactly. Yeah. But what I'm doing is I'm teaching them to pull in a harness. And what is the history of a harness? Where where was it developed?
0: Sled dogs, horses.
2: Exactly. Yep. It was developed for pulling. So this whole concept that a harness is supposed to teach a dog not to pull is no, complete garbage. It
0: makes it more comfortable for them to pull. Exactly.
2: Yep. It just makes owners have to have more shoulder surgeries. Yeah, <laughs> so, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and it's exactly as you say, harnesses have their place, absolutely. Weight pull um, is a great sport for dogs. You have dog sledding, um, ski joring. Running on the treadmill, I've seen people put a harness in their dog so they can really not be hindered in their breathing, right? that's Cane across. Yes, exactly. So it's great for that. But why I like it for my puppies is that they're not getting any tension on their neck. Mm -hmm. And from what you've understood from my training philosophy, at the end of the day, I want to be able to uh, give information to my dog with as little conflict as possible. So if I'm letting my dog pull in a flat collar up to the point in training where they would be introduced to correction, which... By the way, we do not introduce correction to dogs, meaning any sort of corrective tools, until a bare minimum of six months of age. If I could wait till older, I would, but unfortunately most pet parents are not as diligent as I would say dog trainers are. And they don't have as much follow-through as much as their heart would love to be in it. Mm -hmm. They are not invested into the lifestyle. They are invested into a family lifestyle. So they can only commit so much time and effort. So the dogs are physically mature enough around six months of age that I feel comfortable starting that. Uh, Eight months would probably truly be more my preference. But most dogs are starting to become physically uh, a burden to their family because they're pulling them down. I I had a client get pulled down the stairs by their dog, right? And um, it's, all all that's no good. So at the end of the day, we start corrections around six months old. Uh, But again, why I like to not use it sooner is again, I don't wanna desensitize the neck area. So in the future I can use lesser correction and not have to be so confrontational. That's a good point. at the same time too, People really like to do, uh, you know, weight pull and, uh, there is slap mills and carpet mills, which are a type yeah. of like treadmill training, but, and they think do Ella, these. Is
0: Ella doing the weight pull now with, uh, with, uh, what's his face? Uh. Yeah, Ella and.
2: Uh, oh, with Arthur. Arthur. Ella. God, Ella, I'm have, sorry. Yeah, so Ella's one of my trainers. I kept thinking
0: uh, Salamander because that's his Instagram. <laughs> that
2: <laughs> yeah. is. Yeah. The smiling salamander. The smiling
0: salamander, yeah. So
2: shout out to Ella with her. He's such a pit great bull. dog. Actually, he's a. I think he's actually a purebred American Staffordshire Terrier. Maybe.
0: I don't know, but I. Pick
2: that up. That's not true.
0: <laughs> and Ella's probably. Ella's probably. Uh, so sick of me saying this, but. The dog, if, if for those of you that don't know him, he looks like uh, the dragon, the main dragon in How to Train Your Dragon. Yes, the black, toothless. the black dragon, toothless. Yeah, yes. that's that's what Arthur looks like. He's, He's the cutest. So dog. So <laughs> cute. He's such a good boy.
2: But you know, weight pull is a great way yeah. for dogs to develop those muscles. And what are they doing? They are pulling. Mm-hmm. So with puppies, and a lot of people don't know. Your dog's structure, again, is not fully developed until about a minimum of a year old. That's the absolute earliest that uh, there are certifications for hip and elbow joints. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times people even like to wait till two years old, yeah. right? So again, one is the absolute minimum. Now, you can do some prelims, which is checking sooner. But again, everybody knows when you're looking at this, this is not the final picture. So if these pulling behaviors are helping to develop muscles, the, the muscles then are also developing around these joints, and at the end of the day, again, everything is nature and nurture. So if you have well-bred parents that have solid hip and joint tests, mm-hmm. there's always the chance you're still going to have a dysplastic sure. dog or something come yeah. out. But mm-hmm. if you keep developing these muscle groups and have the ability to have the dog's muscles grow larger and stronger, that should also help to benefit the growth of those um, uh, the ball joints going right. into the hip joints. Okay. So for me, it is… Uh, muscle based choice, it is a future training based choice, but it's also a socialization based choice. So, you know, dogs go through fear periods at different stages. And if I have a dog on a flat collar and let's, for some reason, the uh, example in my head is always a very large green garbage truck Mm -hmm. driving past a puppy and the puppy freaks out. So Mm -hmm. part of me thinks this happened to me in the past and I just don't remember it. And there's some trauma there. So if the puppy's on a flat collar and they buck and freak out, they're going to possibly choke themselves, Mm -hmm. uh, make themselves flip backwards in the air. I I could think of all sorts of different stuff with an extreme reaction, but ultimately it's more negative than if your dog was in a harness, worst case scenario, if anything, they just back up, but they can't escape the harness or they might get a little tangled, but it's way less corrective. So there's multiple reasons why in a young dog, I prefer a harness. Um, I did say we've changed our philosophy a little bit where in our puppy training, I used to only teach the harness for the puppies. So when they got older, we could then look to the corrections. But what I've started introducing, I believe is called a Weisswocky. And it is a leash that is literally a handle with a clip. And by the clip is a little metal ring. You would slip the handle through the metal ring. A lot of humane societies and such are using it. And um, we teach it a little different, or we use it a little different than how it's recommended on the box just because of the functionality.
0: Is it, um, is it like a collar? or?
2: It's more a harness. Oh, it's more a harness. Yeah, so okay. it's more of a body harness. But it does implement a little bit of that pressure correction where the dog pulls it. will Oh, constrict. is it like
0: a... Is it like the ones I saw at the shop kind of, or is it different than that?
2: A little different than that, but similar.
0: Like the, it's uh what are the, the no pull harness? So,
2: and it's similar. So yeah. I, I'm not honestly um, sure I've seen the ones from the shop. It's I, I pretty think much, I've, vaguely seen I, them.
0: I've made one out of, uh, my in-laws were in town one time and they have a lab that pulls like okay. a mother. And so <laughs> I, uh. I got frustrated mid-walk <laughs> mid- as like this dog is pulling like the kids around like crazy yeah. and she's just going everywhere. And so I just made like an impromptu harness out of the leash. Okay. Like the same way that it's pretty much a leash harness. Yes. Thing. And yeah, within two minutes, that dog was walking by my side.
2: Perfect. So That's I all it
0: which is kind of wild to me. And I don't know if that happens for every, it, I'm sure it doesn't happen for every dog. And I think mm-hmm. the dog just wore itself out. Cause I was just like, I had it right here mm-hmm. and I'm just, like, you can go ahead and you pull all you want. You're going to wear yourself out. Exactly. But I felt better about it because I know I'm not choking her. You know exactly. what I mean? I'm just wearing her out slowly. Eat all
2: that choking, too. It wears down on your poor dog's trachea. Oh, People yeah. always worry about collapsing right. trachea.
0: Right. Harnesses, slips. I actually use a slip collar for Mozzie. Mozzie doesn't even wear a leash.
2: I, I just use a slip leash with my dogs, <laughs> <Yeah>. too. <laughs> um,
0: But, yeah. I mean, he's, you know, he's always responded really well to that, and he doesn't. Um, I didn't. St- I didn't always do that when like, When he was a puppy, he had. I think he had a harness for a little bit, and then he had a flat collar. And then I. It's just nice, especially if you're hiking or you're trail running or something. If you need to put them on a leash, you can put them on it real quick. Mm-hmm. You
2: know what I mean? Um, Whenever I do hiking with my dogs, my dogs wear a harness too. But that's so I can clip it in the back. And when I'm yeah. tired, mush dog help mush. pull me up <laughs> this hill.
0: Yeah, Little cane across. Hmm. Um. Man. We talked about a lot. Um, still so much to talk about, too. So, you got your guys' program. So, you guys have like a 10 day jump jumpstart. Um, you guys do a three week in depth, which is like a board that you're board and train. Yes. Yeah, so, that's both of those is. are
2: board and train programs. Oh, both pros. of them are? Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. Um, and then you guys do group classes. I guess that's just for people that have gone through both of those programs can then do the group classes.
2: Yeah. Right? I, I think a lot of people who have tried group classes in the past could uh, relate. And agree with this that if your dog's never been through training and you try a group class like just imagine puppies there is so little you can do with those dogs because they keep wanting to play with each other or mm-hmm. they're too scared because they you know aren't social dogs or they're too excited because they're not calm dogs right it's almost impossible to teach in those scenarios well yeah
0: it makes sense that you would do group classes after doing
2: finish those tool. sessions yeah. yeah yeah so you know um I,
0: like I, a touch-up tool exactly. or like to keep them like you know
2: or yeah. that, you know, we also use it to better control the environment. So let's say you have a dog reactive dog and you're working on mm-hmm. loose leash walking. And yeah. most of the time, you know, I th- again, a lot of dogs do this where uh, I would say dog reactivity is the number one reason people come to us where they're walking their dog. They see another dog. The dog now is lunging at the end of the leash mm-hmm. and they are working on stopping that behavior. Well, I would do it too, honestly, if I wasn't training the person. But if I'm walking my well-behaved dog down the street or maybe my dog's doing the same thing, I'm going to get out of your way so you can get out of my way so we can get out of there faster. Well, that doesn't help the dog that's trying to work on reactivity. Teaching the dog how to be corrected through that and then repeat the process to show them the better behavior is how the dog's going to learn. So that's the beauty of group class is we have all these dogs where we can try to trigger everyone's dogs to teach them Mm -hmm. to have learnable moments versus – Unfortunately, in that scenario where the other dog kept walking, the dog learned. Yeah, I kept barking at you. I got and you out left. of here, and I, I and won. that was the whole yeah. intent, yeah. exactly.
0: Puppy classes. What do you feel? How do you feel about those?
2: Um, I love them. Okay. So by puppy classes, do you mean group classes, or do you mean into our individual puppy? I classes? don't know. I
0: mean, I mean, like I know there's some like um, daycares and stuff like that that do like when they're puppies, they can go through like these puppy mm-hmm. classes.
2: I think anytime you have individual training of that puppy again not in a group class scenario Mm -hmm. it is extremely important okay because a lot of times if you don't do anything with your puppy and you train them as an adult dog i think studies show that if you start with a puppy you're able to develop and open up more neural pathways which creates a more thoughtful dog right a dog who is better used makes uh, sense able to use their brain right yeah um so in terms of our dogs As long as we have, again, that it's most important that we have that consistent owner. We always encourage people with young dogs to start with our puppy program and not wait till the dogs are six months or older and then do an adult dog program. We always love starting with the puppies. You would be amazed what you can accomplish with a young puppy with just food-based obedience. And we have some example videos of dogs that have gone through our puppy program where they start off with (laughs) these wild stallions of puppies and uh, they are five lessons in total, but they don't just span over the course of a week or a few weeks it's like a couple month process so the dog is able to get all the reps they need. but then at the final food- based puppy lesson, we're going to a public store and practicing obedience and yeah. people kind of look at their dog like i I didn't think I'd be able to do this yeah like, it's it's a it's a puppy and it's healing mm-hmm. past people and <laughs> it, it's
0: it's That's pretty so neat.
2: beneficial to yeah. start with a young dog, and also. So you're too, saying
0: you're saying you can do the puppy classes, but more importantly, the individual training is is yes, way more. Yes, again, is, the handler has to important. know
2: how to be consistent. Right, the handler has to know that they have to at some point stress the dog by increasing the distractions, whether that be now instead of training in your living room, you train outside ever, right, or go right. somewhere.
0: I did. I did want to get into. I did want to get into nutrition and how it kind of ties in with with dog training because mm-hmm. we have a, a lot of dog trainers that really promote raw food, um, and people don't understand why. And there's so many factors. Um, nutrition plays such an important role, um, and I think you can attest to this. But it plays a really important role in um, the learning capabilities, the disposition, um, attention span brain development, all these things are really important um, when it comes to uh, nutrition and and dog training. Um, You know, I always say in the shop, you know, when you feed, like when you're feeding a dry food, like an extruded food, which is predominantly carbohydrates, um, it's like you're throwing kindling on a fire, right? And you're just watching it explode. Um, And then you're continuously feeding kibble all day. So So your dog's continuously spiking and crashing and spiking and crashing, and that's causing... Some anxiousness, some anxiety that could turn to aggression. Um, when on the opposite end of that spectrum, if you're going to feed raw, you're feeding protein and fat, you know, mostly protein and fat, small amount of carbohydrates, but low glycemic carbohydrates. And you're throwing an oak log on a fire and it's just a nice, steady, slow burn. Um, and the dog's way more even keeled, way more trainable, um, way more focused. And there's a lot of good studies out there. So we are actually going to do another podcast about um, just gut health and diet and how that kind of ties in with, with training and, and learning capabilities of your dog.
1: Feed your pet food made from the freshest and healthiest ingredients found in Steve's Real Food.
0: Every Steve's formula is pH balanced and uses only 100% natural, high-quality USDA-inspected free-range meats and unprocessed whole and functional foods. Plus, it's loaded with beneficial bacteria from goat milk. See how much better your pet will feel after just a few weeks on Steve's Real Food. Find out more in the podcast show notes. If you're not in the central Ohio area and you're looking for a dog trainer, give me some things that you should be looking for.
2: It's really tough, you guys. It, it's it's hard because, first off, there is no such thing as a certified dog trainer. Um, there are individualized certifications you can get through certain schools, mm-hmm. but that is not somehow regulated across the board. That is a unique certification based off of a certain philosophy that somebody who is either respected or established at some point created and became a template. Um I have heard rumor that I cannot verify, Mm -hmm. uh, or at least I still need to verify, that there may have come, or in New York, they may have come out with an actual certificate that you need to train dogs, or they are going to do that. Some friends in New York were telling me about that. Could be complete hearsay. I do not know. But generally speaking, there is no 100% recognized certification for dog training. Um, so at that point, now you have anybody that can be a dog trainer right. and or they could say that they are a certified dog trainer just to make you feel better. Right. And maybe they did. Maybe they went through a certain school, but also, you know, school is school. That's why after you get whatever degree you get from school, you're supposed to do a continued education. And that is something that myself and my staff are doing, which is fantastic. Uh, but I think what you really need to do is figure out
0: that's so important. It is it's so important. I, I mean, it, it's like the more you learn about something, the more you learn mm-hmm. there is to learn. Right. You know? it, I mean, and it's I like don't the know vets
2: that you talk to.
0: One hundred. I mean, that's exactly what I was thinking about. You know, it's like how do you just stop your education? You know, I've, I've. There's so much to learn about nutrition. I don't even think I've scratched the surface yet. You know, and I've done a lot. I've spent a lot of my time researching on canine nutrition, but there's, I, I know there's so much more to learn.
2: Right. You know? And everything keeps changing. The more that technology changes. Right. Right. So, uh, you know, that that same idea goes back to dog training where technology has changed. So, I don't want to name any schools, but there are certain schools who, you know, only use certain tools in much more negative ways because back then that was the technology and its usage, but they have not continued to uh, change their philosophy or perspective. Right. So, I think what's really important is you have to figure out what you as the client are looking for. So we'll have people call us that they just want their dog to sitting down. They don't really care about we like to specialize in what I call the take anywhere dog. You have the confidence and knowledge and control that if you want to take your dog to a patio, you can. If you want to take them off leash hiking, you can. So if somebody calls me and they just want the dog to practice sitting down in the house like Great. Maybe we'll do puppy training with you. But if you're looking for adult dog training, I might refer you on to another company because that's not what we thrive on. That's not what brings us joy. So if you are looking for base behavior and you really don't want to invest in your dog or your knowledge, which is fine. I don't agree with that. But not everybody, you know, some people like the idea of having a dog. Mm -hmm. Some people like enjoying their dog. Yeah. If you're in the first group, that's just who you are, right? Maybe just go through um, you a know simple a, obedience exactly, training. Exactly, like something yeah. really small with treat training. Yeah. Um, but if you're looking to have in depth training, you have to you have to make sure that the training company is transparent. And that's something we are as well. Like you can find everything on our website. We tell you what tools we use, we tell you our philosophy, we tell you our prices. I think
0: a great way too. Like I it sounds like a kind of a millennial thing to say, but like Instagram, mm-hmm. I mean, I can tell a lot about like your guys' training company by just being on Instagram. You guys are constantly uh, posting um, stories. Yeah. I mean, the stories are, you guys have like 20 stories at one time. Yes. You know what I mean? And it's the different trainers working on the dogs. And, and you can, I really feel like I know you guys be, through your Instagram, you know what I mean? And what you guys are about.
2: That's actually how we got a, a client in Lancaster. She had gone through at least one other trainer who uses a similar philosophy so she uses corrective tools she might use food i don't know Mm -hmm. um but she went through training with this other trainer spent a lot of money and did not have good results And, you know, she was saying how she found us and she trusted to invest with us because she saw that when we get dogs in for boarding trains or we have them for boarding, we're pretty much posting a start to finish. Like you're seeing your dog learn and progress. And then you're seeing the dogs that are further along in the program. And then there's your dog kind of slowly going through the motions and trying to figure it out. But Mm -hmm. then you get to see that change with your dog throughout and see what your dog's capable of. That's the important thing, because again, End of the day you can want to be whatever handler you want to be, but if you're not going to continue, that's one thing. But you can at least see what your dog's capable of. So right. I think transparency is really important in looking at a dog trainer. Mm-hmm. Um, and that means not just looking like you're saying at what videos they have created and posted and chosen mm-hmm. to have constants. So that's why stories are important for us. Real time. Exactly. I mean, it's almost
0: real time. It's yeah. real
2: time. Um you know making sure that there is some sort of continued education. We talked about that. And what is the continued education? So somebody says they did A, B, and C. Well, did they just list it out or did they say, I went to such and such school and uh, focused on this? So, for example, our team recently completed, I believe it's called Pet Tech First Aid and CPR. Uh, certification that does not mean we're capable of teaching it it means that we have learned what to do in a panic situation uh trying to make sure the dog stays safe and healthy till we can get them the professional help that they may or may not need based off of the situation so you know we it's are like doing field first aid exactly yeah. it's just like human first aid but um you know of course for our pets it was specifically for dogs and cats and you know i myself this is the only job I've ever known. So I've gone through uh, seminars that are for just food-based obedience. And let me tell you, uh, I think the people leading that are the folks in Europe. Uh, the competition, the border collies, it mm-hmm. is a beautiful thing to watch them train at those dogs. Um, but again, it's food-based obedience with a very specific temperament and type of dog, which is where they're able to be so successful. Yeah. Um, and then we have continued education in the sense that who— is your mentor, right? Who who do you look up to? So if you are, if you believe in just training with food, making sure you're finding somebody that uh, is able to demonstrate what they're able to do to a higher level. So for me, I love competition training, and that could be AKC competition or UKC. That could be dog sporting events that are like dock diving, or we have rally as another form of obedience. I specifically perform in uh, dog bite sport. And there's different versions of those. We're not going to go too in-depth with that. But the, the purpose and why I think continued education is so important is the people that do those, when you compete, it's not your dog just having to be obedient and show proficiency. It is making sure your dog is animated while performing it. So that is another form of continued education is going to the seminars of the people who are performing at the highest level and learning what are you psychologically doing to manipulate these dogs or work with these dogs to have the best results possible. Right. Or, you know, then I've also been to corrective trainers who they have seminars on just on how they're corrective. So the thing you have to remember is there is no one size fits all. So with me having gone to all these different seminars, seen all these different philosophies, some people are ride or die. That's all they'll ever do. They're like, this is the way the world is. Yeah, My philosophy has changed over the years. So yeah. making sure that the companies are continuously changing and growing, I think, is also very important um I have a mentor from the dog sport world who completely in my mind revolutionized what I was doing in dog training because it's like I had little bits and pieces but it truly hadn't come together until I just started sitting and you know started sitting with him picking his brain and applying it with my own dogs, my client dogs and it's immediately I saw this fantastic change in the communication with the clientele but of course with the dogs as well. Yeah. So uh, continued education is extraordinarily important making sure they have full transparency. Again, certifications are nice. Don't get me wrong. So certifications would be great. Just make sure it's something verifiable and then check out the certification. Is that a philosophy or do the person persons um, participate in behaviors you would agree with? I
0: think those are all great things to look for. So let's say you are in Central Ohio
2: mm-hmm.
0: and you, you like what you hear on this podcast. How do they find you?
2: So we have a Instagram page at Tranquil Packs. And we also have a Facebook page at Tranquil Packs Dog Training. Uh, apparently, and I am very honored to hear this from some people that are calling me, if you type in Dog Training Columbus, Ohio, we pop up in the top 10. Oh, nice. So right. that's fantastic. Um, very, very happy to hear that. So and you
0: guys have a really nice website.
2: Thank you. Yeah. We made it ourselves, so I'm very happy it's to hear really that. It's really well done. I like thank it. Thank you. Um, but yeah, we have a website. It's TranquilPacks.com. And we may be changing our phone number, so I'm not going to include that one. Uh, but you can also email us at tranquilpacks.yahoo.com. Now, let's do a, a quick clarification because people might be typing in tranquil, the traditional spelling, and packs, like a pack of dogs. Yep. That's actually incorrect. So our business name means tranquil peace, the last part being Latin. Yep. So tranquil is spelled traditionally, and then we have packs as in P and in Paul, A as an atom, X as in xylophone. So we are Tranquil Packs dog training.
0: Okay, well, I think that kind of concludes our podcast today. We covered a lot of ground. (laughs) We
2: covered a lot. We're going to do
0: another one, though. I can't wait. Thank you so much for coming down here. I know you're extremely busy. Liz is uh, obviously, she runs Tranquil Packs, but also hopes. uh, Are you the head trainer now at? At uh, pilot dogs? No, or?
2: I'm not the head trainer at pilot dogs. You're I, I, I wish that would be trainer. really, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, that would be awesome. But yeah. um, what I'm doing is I am uh, working with what's called the development team at pilot dogs and pilot dogs is a guide dog company or dogs that are being trained to be the eyes for those who are blind. So we are working with these dogs that are starting at eight weeks old And we are developing them, meaning that we're teaching all the basic obedience. We are teaching the foundational uh, guide dog skills, such as being able to stop at curbs, indicating such things um, all the way up till 18 months old. Now, traditionally in the guide dog world, What you do is you just have people raise the young dogs for you and then at a certain age they come back. So I want to say I believe the numbers are less than 50% of the dogs that come back pass. Mm -hmm. So the hope with pilot dogs is by changing the general format and template with dogs that we are raising. That we are able to have a larger percentage of dogs that are passing because, you know, as we spoke about today, is it nature, is it nurture? It's both, right? Right. But let's give the dogs a better chance by showing them what they should be doing sooner. Just like I believe that puppy training is going to um, exponentially raise the success of adult dog training. So uh, what I'm doing there is I'm you know, helping to teach and develop these dogs along with what we call co-pilots who are the volunteers. And guys, that's the key word. I would love, love, love if either you, your friends, or family have the availability to foster one of our co-pilot puppies. And what you would do is you could raise them from eight weeks to 18 months old when they come back for training. You could do that part-time You could volunteer to just come and socialize with the puppies. You could be a a weekend raiser. There is so much volunteer needs that we need to help condition and help grow these dogs for this fantastic cause. So what I do with myself and my fellow trainers at Pilot Dogs is we are teaching these individuals how to raise up these dogs as well as when they come back for training, training these dogs. And it is a a beautiful thing at the end of the day because, you know, just close your eyes and imagine that that's all you had along with your form of touch and you're navigating the world without a dog. It's a scary experience and it's a very limiting experience. So the ability to have these dogs truly expands their world and also helps develop a sense of confidence for them as well. So, you know, anyone that can donate their time yeah, it, it, we're so grateful. That's really that's that.
0: really important work that you're doing. I mean, on both ends, I mean, Tranquil packs is really it's Absolutely. really important yeah. to a lot of people. I know firsthand, um, right. but pilot dogs too, um, helping people that yeah, that you know have they can't see with their own eyes, so they need uh, a furry companion to to help them walk Absolutely. through it. So um, that's really awesome, and so they can they just go to they can probably go to like pilot dogs website and mm-hmm. and find out where they can volunteer if they.
2: Yes, pilot do dogs, you could just do a generalized Google search. They will pop up first thing. Um, and we don't just need razors in Columbus, Ohio. We have razors in other states. So as long as you're willing to drive, uh, what we do is we do private lessons with the razors. It's it's free dog training pretty much. Yeah. And so I myself, I am covering uh, online Zoom sessions. Oh, okay. So, you know, if you want to work with me, but you want to raise a, a puppy and you're looking for kind of free dog training, you Boom. know. Boom. Two
0: birds, one stone. That's right. Nice. Well, awesome. Well, thanks again for taking time to come down here and chat with us. And obviously we have much more to talk about, but we'll get that to the uh get through that with the next episode. So. Sounds great.
2: Thank you guys cool. for having me.
0: Thank you. The views and opinions on this podcast should not be used as an alternative to veterinary advice. We always encourage you to seek the professional advice of your vet. Before starting a raw diet, we encourage you to ask lots of questions, do your research, and speak with a qualified vet and or canine feline nutritionist.